Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Step and Repeat. I am your co-host, Andrew, joined here today, always, by our other co-host, Matt. Hello. And again, this is a special episode because it is a roundtable episode on LGBTQ in honor of Pride Month. So, uh, in typical roundtable fashion, <laughs> we're joined by some other special guests. We have Dwayne and Mark joining us. Hey, hey. How's everybody doing? Uh, so, uh, since this is your first episode, I'll give you a little opportunity to tell a little bit about yourself, just kind of... Uh, who you are and why you are interested in joining uh, an LGBTQ roundtable episode. So, um, do things alphabetically. So, we'll uh, start with Dwayne. <laughs> hey, sure, I'll start. Uh, my name is Dwayne. Um, I guess you can call me a combination of I'm kind of like a prince and a nerd. Nerd prince, prince nerd, I don't know. Either or is fine. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of movies, period, particularly LGBT movies, probably particularly LGBT movies with POCs are my favorite. I don't think we have enough of them, but I'm sure we'll get into that at some point. Um, yes. That's why I'm here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. All right, Mark. Uh, I am Mark. I, similarly, I am a huge movie fan, always been since I was a really little kid watching all the old black and white and uh, MGM musicals. So uh, as I got older, LGBT kind of made its way in there and I, I particularly enjoy them as well. So I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Uh, I'm so glad we have like big movie buffs to do it. I mean, not expected people to hate movies to join <laughs> but uh like people who are actually interested sort of in the the topic kind of the point of the whole podcast um to do it for sort of standard movie fans so so really happy to have you um, so you kind you both got both of you guys kind of mentioned that um, especially as you got older, you kind of became more attracted to LGBTQ movies. Uh, what are some of your favorites? Oof. Favorites, favorites. Um, God's Own Country is up there. Yeah. Love that movie very much. It was like the Brokeback Mountain that we should have had when Amen. Brokeback Mountain came out. We should have had God's Own Country instead of Brokeback Mountain. Punks is another one by Patrick Ian Polk. That's a good one. I think that came out in 2001. Um, trying to think what else are my favorites are. Oh, I might have to look at my collection over here. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, while, while Dwayne's looking, uh, Mark, how about you? Um, I'm very much, I like, uh, it's kind of, Controversial, I guess, for gay historians and particularly older ones, but I'm a big fan of the Milk biopic. Um, I, I think that that gets a lot of heat sometimes, but I think it's very well done. Um, I'm a big fan of The Hours, um, Stephen Daldry's The Hours, as well as uh, 
Calling By Your Name is probably one of my favorites of the decade. Um, the Boys in the Band, which is probably the, the, I guess you can say, the first LGBT like movie. Um, and I will go to the grave saying that Angels in America is a movie. It's not a TV miniseries. I count it as a movie, and that's probably one of my favorites as well. You guys have some really great options, and I'm very, uh, very proud. <laughs> I, I mean, speaking for me, I think I kind of initiated sort of in the um, LGBT movies, uh, kind of, I would say, starting as stereotypical as it is, and Dwayne brought it up, was Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I, um, I've always been a fan of movies, but I remember I saw that movie um, with a friend in theaters, and um, I went to go see it like with a friend, and um, she was very much looking forward to this, and I was kind of like, yeah, that sounds like interesting, everyone's talking about the gay cowboy movie, quote unquote. And then I saw it and I was like blown away <laughs> by it. And my friend was kind of meh <laughs> on it. And that like movie sort of ended up kind of changing my life, I guess, in the sort of sense that it like really helped me uh, identify as gay and like played a very transformative role in my um, sexual discovery. But uh, I think from there, I just like went up and now, um, now generally try to like watch as many as I can from like all the like kind of crappy ones that are on Netflix, some of which I do not recommend, <laughs> but I watch them anyway. Um, so like all the sort of prestige, um, it's like, it's like a really interesting subgenre. So. I mean, as evidenced by like the ones that you, which are all like very different. So, Dwayne, uh, did you find some more inspiration? I did. You know, like so, I'm a huge fan of foreign films. Period. Mm -hmm. I love foreign, like LGBT films. Also, there's like two of them. One is called Ragtag, which takes place in London. Um, it's a, actually a POC, like LGBT movie, which I, you know, I love those. Period. Um, that was a fantastic one. And the other one is Center of My World. I forget what language it's in. I want to say German. Um, but I thought the love story in that one was really, really good. No, I'm glad you brought that up. So two things definitely want to tackle there. Uh, actually, one of my favorite movies of the year so far, and like my favorite LGBT movie of 2020, um, is this movie called And Then We Danced. I don't know if you heard of it or... Mark's nodding his head. Have you seen it? <laughs> I, uh, Absolutely. I haven't seen it yet, but I, it's it's on my list. I, the trailer is fantastic. I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, so this is a Georgian movie, um, and essentially the um, the plot is uh, there's a, a Georgian dance crew. Uh, and they're in, in Georgia, the country, dance is actually 
quite masculine and it's something where like all the, um, all the dancers and all the male dancers like have to conform to this sort of identity of a masculine dancer but there's like a particularly feminine uh dancer like is, who's part of the troupe and um and he's like chided frequently by his um teachers for being like for not being like tough enough essentially anyway um another guy joins the group and they like start a love affair and uh the it it's against kind of like the backdrop of Georgia, like the country, where, um, like a lot of places in the world right now, it's like seeing like, a rise of nationalism. So like he like simultaneously like faces homophobia um, and like proving things to his, his dance troupe. So it's like interesting, but uh, so definitely recommend Then We Dance if you get the chance to see it, it's probably available for rental soon, if not. I was just um, about to ask, is it going to come out in the theater soon, but it did. It was like, totally forgot. <laughs> yeah, like in part, what makes and Then We Dance like really interesting is because um, when it came out in theaters in Georgia um, in 2019, the uh, country was like vastly this and like there are all sorts of protests um, and the like the government like disavowed this movie and like promised like, not to show it in like certain theaters and so it actually became quite sort of dangerous to to show it like amidst all sorts of threats thrown at the director uh, so that what was, was their like, reasoning for not wanting to show it because like it doesn't it's not in line, so to speak, with like the Georgian way of life. Like they're seeing like an, a rise in the whole right. So they don't support any sort of queer movie, really. Oh. Yeah. So, um, so then they, so it obviously found a home and almost ironically it like, for itself because like then it became this sort of punk rock so to speak like movie of this like rebel movie of uh, people to see so like other people sought it out um, and like it made its way abroad so it's like made its way to like the United States in earlier this year before COVID hit <laughs> and uh, so it's like in theaters briefly in theaters, small indie theaters, um, this year. and so that was around February, so there's of the shelf life now that I feel like be available for rental soon. That was like much longer talking about And Then We Dance than I did <laughs> too, uh, but um, I actually kind of want to come back to um, something you talked about, Dwayne, when you were talking about ragtag and foreign films. Um, so you mentioned at the top, like the lack of movies featuring QPOCs or queer people of color. And uh, that's definitely an issue that I wanna talk about too, because I also <laughs> noticed that a lot. I mean, especially if you go through the standard list, 
like amounts that feature QPO's seeds is small. Slim to none. Slim to yeah. none. Yeah. <laughs> Slim to uh, none. Not enough. No. Um, it's a total disservice. And it's not even something I want to say I grew up um, really noticing until it, be, I just, it just became a problem, I guess, for me, if that's even making sense. I remember when I would watch, I think Brokeback Mountain might have been the first queer movie I ever saw. And after that, I was like, oh, so I can actually see myself up on a screen or feeling the same things these guys are feeling on the screen. Great, let me see more. And when I would go looking for more, it was great. I'm watching these movies. They were all fantastic. But I just remember thinking, none of these characters look like me. Like, yeah, I can feel what they're feeling because, you know, like I'm also gay, but none of them share my skin color, background. None of them look like me at all. And that's kind of a problem. Yeah, I mean representation matters right it does very much so yeah like i would say the most high profile one is probably the movie moonlight Ugh. oh you uh, i saw a viral. Sorry. <laughs> uh, i have a love-hate relationship with that movie of course i i, I feel like i kind of have to love it because like i'm black and this movie is about brown boys coming into their sexuality and loving each other. Visually, I think it's one of the most stunning movies I probably have ever seen. Visually, it is, the cinematography is the best. I mean, everything visually about that movie is fantastic. But the love story? Uh, <laughs> is it, I don't it's not know. Really a love story though, either. Like, I don't know. Um, so I just rewatched Moonlight recently and uh, I actually thought it was better. I haven't watched it since it came out. Uh, which was 2016, I guess. so a few years, uh, and um, I thought it was better the second time around. I agree. I thought it was better the second time around too. And like, I mean, I I also think like Brokeback Mountain, the love story I think could is is problematic. It's beautiful, and the acting is absolutely fantastic. And you know, I I wish 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 it opened the floodgate to more movies like that and i don't know that we're seeing the benefits of it yet but i i really hope down the line there's something called a moonlight effect and we just get more qpocs on screen that's not tv yeah tv has been oh i don't want to say like tv's been great but they've been i think like a little bit better or ahead of the curve of trying to get more QPOC stories told. Like, I think of, like, Pose, too. I don't know if that just, like, has to do with, like, the production turnaround, but, like, since Moonlight, like, that was four years ago at this point, too. Like, there still hasn't been a whole lot that I think of. Can you guys? In terms of movies, no. And I'm always on the lookout for those. No. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, there sure as hell been like a lot more like white gay movies. So it's like that sort of same tale that you see kind of again and again. And the green books where you have a QPOC and his story is completely it's... butchered and destroyed and just frustrating beyond belief. I, that was frustrating for me too, Mark. I know exactly what you're saying. When I like learned that they were doing that story, I was like, oh, great. And Mahershala Ali is going to be the lead character. Great. We're going to see another queer POC on film. Absolutely not. Nothing was acknowledged. Nothing was talked about. 
um, just completely brushed under the rug. Sterilized, I, I kind of describe that. I guess um, for me, when it comes to Moonlight, the biggest issue for me was the fact that those two guys didn't kiss one time. You know, speaking as like a black guy, like growing up gay, I think one of the issues in the black community, not the black queer community, but the black community period, is this hyper masculinity that the movie touched on, like when it comes to the black man, right? We're not allowed to be feminine, we're not, we're not allowed to be soft, we have to be hard all the time. And I thought if they would have had those two guys kiss, that would have definitely broken that barrier somewhat. And I was very disappointed that they didn't do that like at all. It was a big, big, big letdown for me. I actually, I was today years old when I just realized that they do kiss. <laughs> it been my... <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's like implied, implied's not even the right word. Like it's camera angles are like definitely know that they have a relationship. I'm trying to put this like definitely, <laughs> but that they have, um, you know, that they have like experiences with each other. Yeah, and I don't want to discredit like the movie doesn't show that they love each other or that there's not affection there. But to see it in a physical way, aside from like what happened at the beach, I don't know if this is uncensored because yeah. I would, you know, actually say the word, but yeah. um, like what happened on the beach, like, oh, that's like physical, like, right? Yeah, oh, we can, I can, yeah. Great. Yeah, let's, let's go. So then they were like masturbating on the beach, it was a beautiful scene, by the way. I, I mean, I think we all wish we could have done that at some point in our adolescence, right? <laughs> on the beach. Um, that was like nice, but I don't know. To see them like actually put their lips on one another, to me, would have been more affectionate than what they did on the beach. Yeah, like I think I, there's like a particular visual that I'm thinking of in my head that like all you see is, um, I think it's like Chiron's hand just kind of like grabbing the sand and kind of that's it. And like I'm kind of just like going through all these flashbacks of realizing that they don't ever show them kiss. Which is honestly like made even almost by like the closing lines, which I like. I love the closing lines, but like they're they're sad and depressing because like I see them like later as adults. You see like talking to Kevin, and he says, "You're the only man that's ever touched me." The only one, and you don't even see them touch. <laughs> and so, wow. I've, my mind's been blown now. <laughs> yeah, why, I, I just wonder, like, why, why do you think that is? Is it, like, an artistic choice, or is it, like, Hollywood too afraid to, to show that on screen? I, I, you know, at that point, we were, what, in 2015? There should be no, 2016, there should be a reason that, that we can't see that on screen. Whereas I feel like, you know, if it were for a straight couple, there would be absolutely no problem at all. Like, I'm sure there would, like, be no question that there would be a kiss. But, like... I feel like TV, there's always like, they're always finding ways to like grow and and find more queer representation on TV. And there's, well, there's one, there's a lot more like, obviously a lot more outlets for, for artists and directors and producers to, to, to have to show on TV. But I just wonder why like Moonlight in particular doesn't like, wouldn't show that, or wouldn't show them being physical. Like the same, like I even think like with like, a movie like Carol, like it's like again, like this big movie, but yes, they you do see them kiss, but it the physical touching is so limited. You know, like I feel like again, like in a straight story, there's just you know, you see a lot more 
physical stuff. Like, are we still at a point where we're still so uncomfortable with all of the physical emotions that tie into movies or your movies and gay movies? I, I would agree. I think that's it. I think seeing it physical makes it that much more real mm. versus just seeing two guys or two women just talk about how much they love each other or just a graze of a hand is different than seeing them actually partake in some kind of major physical act of love, whether it's like heavy petting. I can't believe I just said that word. It's so old school or like the full on act of like sex. You know, it makes it that much more real to see clothes off, to see that kind of touching like, oh my gosh. You yeah. know, they're actually doing that. And just like us straight people, they have sex just like we do. I can't believe this. Yeah. And like, even when you think movies like Brokeback Mountain, like, yes, there is like, they do physically touch, but you see more physical stuff between, you know, Anne Hathaway and Heath Ledger than really you do between Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. I, I don't know. It's I, just the thought. I think it, I mean, we just talked about two movies where the director's straight and the screenwriter was straight. Barry Jenkins, Ang Lee, I mean, those those are straight men. Um, and I mean, okay, it could be an artistic choice to take it that way, but at the same time, it's like, is could that be a limitation to how far they're willing to go with that? Um, I mean, it, it, in particular with, with Brokeback, you have, I mean, it was all, all straight. I mean, the screenwriters were straight, the, director was straight, the actors were straight, nothing about that production was really gay. Um, so I, I, I do think that affects what you see and how it's portrayed. Which is uh, now even underscored further because even this week, the week that we're in this episode, it was revealed that the director of Brokeback Mountain was supposed to be Lee Daniels, who is gay. Uh, he's uh, the director of um, the movie Precious and also the movie The Butler. Uh, and he was originally supposed to direct Brokeback Mountain and then that eventually went to Ang Lee. And Lee Daniels said he couldn't watch that movie for 15 years <laughs> because of it. Um, I don't blame him. <laughs> and, but, like, Lee Daniels was gay. And um, in the interview that I read with him, he said, like, I would have done, like, the tent scene in Mountain, like, a hell of a lot differently. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah, and, so my, like, my question is, like, do we feel, like, do you feel like it is either the choice of either A, the director, or two, is it studio intervention where it's like, okay, let's, let's not do that. Let's not show the physical touching, the physicalness of like what would go in inside the tent because like, would that make people too uncomfortable? Like, yes, people are open to watching this movie and yes, it's a great movie, but would them being too physical make people too uncomfortable? I would say it's a combination of both. I think that there are definitely directors out there, particularly when I think straight directors um, direct LGBT movies. I think that they just, there's a sense there that they just don't, that they'll just never know because they don't identify as LGB or T, they just will never know what it's like to be that. The same way I feel like when a white director tries to direct a black movie, they can never direct that the way a black director would because they don't know what it is to be black. They don't know what mm -hmm. it is to be of color. It's just not the same. And I don't think that these directors who are straight that are directing these movies are asking for help. I don't think they're really trying to get into the mindset 
of someone who is LGB or T to see, hey, what do you see with this scene? Because if I was straight, this is what I would do. And this is what I see, you know, if it was man and woman, or like if a woman with a man, what are you seeing? Like, what's your perspective? Huh, let me take that into consideration. I don't think that they're doing that. I think that's a major problem. It's, I, I recently read a uh, interview with Nathan Lane and they talked about the birdcage and he said kind of the same thing. He said that that entire crew was straight. Robin Williams was straight. Mike Nichols is straight. Elaine May is straight. I, I was the only gay person on that set for this movie. So he, he said once or twice I, I spoke up, but it was Mike's movie and it was Elaine May's script based on this French film. And, you know, I just kind of had to work with what I had and yeah. you know, I, I, not much has really changed since then, I guess. So you, I'm gonna slightly pivot uh, topics here. It's related to what we're talking about. Uh, but I, I personally feel it's more important to have an L, G, E, or T voice behind the camera than it is in front of the camera. Um, and this gets into the question about like actors, particularly straight actors, playing queer characters, if that is acceptable. Or, or not. Yeah. Uh, the sort of train, um, the schools of thought uh, in favor of, uh, of straight people playing queer characters, straight actors playing queer characters, is that it's acting. Like that's the whole purpose of acting. Uh, and the uh, sort of argument against that is while well, you're making a role that could go to an LGBTQ person who has those real life experiences and can add that voice. This isn't like something that's been like resolved, <laughs> but I just, uh, so I just kind of want to get all your guys' take. So when you say that, I'm like immediately taken back to, I don't, do you remember a few years ago there was a controversy with, um, oh God, Jim Parsons playing Sheldon Cooper on The Big Bang Theory. And there was like that thing where he came out or someone came out um, and said like, producers told him, I think it was him, told him like not to come out because they don't want him to, um, they don't want people to believe that, that he is like, he is a gay man playing this straight actor on this like wildly successful TV show. And like, they fear, they fear that like, that would like bring the ratings down. And obviously Jim Parsons is not the first straight actor or gay actor to play a straight role. Um, and I didn't really, really see an issue with that, but I guess there's a, like that factor of quote unquote believability. And I really hate to even use that word because yes, it is all acting. Um, but like, that is a big question. Like should straight actors play gay roles and vice versa? Do we believe it? Should we believe it? Are we allowed to even like believe it or even bring up this issue? Um, like it's a good thing to talk about, but I'm like, I'm obviously like in the mindset that like anyone can play any character. if you're like a good enough actor, then that is exactly what you're doing. You're acting <laughs> and you shouldn't like those, those, your gender identity or like your sexual identity shouldn't define the role you're playing. That's just my, I guess my two cents. I, I have also have a love hate relationship with this as well. Um, mm -hmm. I told, cause you know, like I, I'm not promoting myself here, but I act also. 
by no means am I an actor. I just like to act. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's like, I always like question, like, what if someone told me, you know, I can't play whoever because the character is straight and, you know, like you're gay, so there's no way you can do this character. Like, well, how would I react, you know? Um, like, I, of course, would be like, that's not fair. Like, I'm an actor. I can act anything, you know? If I put my mind to it, I can try and I can act. So it should be okay. And I always, like, flip it. Like, what if they told that to a straight person also? You can't play this character because you're straight and it's a gay role or a trans role. You know, you just can't do it justice. I think I've settled somewhere with, I think that, as actors, they should be open to play whatever they want to play because your, your, your job is to act. However, I think that there are certain stories that should be told by people who are gay, people who are bi, people who are trans, people who are lesbian. There are certain stories, there are certain movies, TV shows, limited series, plays, whatever you want to call them, that should yeah. be played by actors who fall within that role because of the story that it is telling. So you are in the camp that Roland Emmerich should not be directing Stonewall. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Just wanted to clear the air there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little nauseous. Yeah. Um, I, I, I tend to agree because I, I also think society matters and the place you are time-wise in society matters. Like, I think we've moved to the place of, okay, if you, a good actor is a good actor, play gay, straight, what have you. Jeffrey Wright in Angels in America, straight man playing that role is probably my favorite gay gay character. Oh, Jeffrey Wright. Of all time. <laughs> it, it, it is that That's good. a good actor. It, and, and he's straight and it's, perfect it's absolutely pitch perfect An another role that i really enjoy is felicity huffman in trans america however now dealing in this world that we live in in 2020 if that movie was made today i don't think a cis woman should have been playing that part it's you know there there are tons of good trans actors and actresses vying for parts that come along once or twice a decade. So I, I feel like as society moves along, we have, we have to kind of take that into account when telling these stories that are so important. So I have a different sort of take on these characters and like, characters so I take more issue with like cis people playing trans cis actors playing trans characters because I think that sort of perpetuates that that trans people in real life are just playing dress up right so if you have um, a cis man playing a trans woman it's like the implication there is that the trans woman is just playing dress up and that's not true so um where it's like you don't have like the little dress of it all in an lgb character i think with lgb characters um or actors you kind of risk getting typecast too if you're like only ever playing these roles like then 
the actors can't get any other work other than playing like queer act or a queer character. So that's Which like, I think is like straight bullshit, you know, because when a straight actor plays a gay role, a trans role, a lesbian role, it's critically acclaimed. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. they're playing a gay role. They did such a great job. Like when Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Heath Ledger like did Brokeback Mountain, it was all this acclaim. They did so great. We believed them, fantastic. But when like a gay person plays a straight role, it's like, oh, you should be doing that anyway. Good for you. Fantastic, who cares? Yeah, it's like society like patting themselves on the back of like, look, like, we're recognizing you, like all this acclaim, like good for you, which is kind of condescending. <laughs> so this actually kind of ties into one other thing that I've, that I've noticed more and more recently in movies too, um, about, and this relates to the Moonlight conversation that we had of movies not really going far enough and not sort of representing who people are in real life. I want to talk about like characters who are perceived as gay in movies, but are really more bisexual. And uh, like you see this in almost every, I think like almost every major queer film. So like Brokeback Mountain, for example, like married to women in Back Mountain and in Moonlight, one of them ends up married to a woman by her name ends with like one of them getting engaged to a woman too. And so like, there's always this sort of like bisexuality involved. And to me that I understand like the Kinsey scale that um, sexuality can be fluid, but like, to me, it also sort of screams of, like, goes into, like, movie execs saying, hey, like, you can be gay, but not that gay. Or you can be gay, but your journey has to involve a woman somehow. If you're a man and if you're a woman, you know, you have to, like, have sex with a man first before you can very much know that you're lesbian. Yeah, but yeah. Look, at the, look at, like, the themes of these movies. It's all, like, about one character, like, two, two gay characters falling in love but then one's heartbroken to leave because they leave for the opposite sex or for a different gender. And so it just seems to be like a recurring theme among like the mainstream movies. It, there's no like real progress of like, oh, both end happily ever after. And like that gets to a point where it's just like, it becomes like, yes, all these movies are great. But it becomes um, so like my, one of my big things, like one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, and we don't have to get on this right now, we can get back to it, but I wanted to get on topic of LGBT genre. So whereas like, you know, like literally like 95% of like LGBT movies are, you know, dramas or like hardcore dramas. And like, there's very few in the way of like genre goes comedies um, where, you know, LGBT representation can be represented in more than just one genre. I mean, obviously, it's something we can come back to a little later because I wanted to talk about when you mentioned the birdcage. Um, but you're right about like in these dramas, it's just like there always just seems to be one one formula, and that is like the guy gets left for the girl in the end. And also, nobody's allowed to be bi. Yeah. Like yeah. Like bi people yeah. exist. Like why why can none of these characters genuinely 
be bisexual. And acknowledge it. Right. And explore it in a healthy way that doesn't require, I guess, infidelity right. or, you know, anything like that. But I guess, like, to me, that, I guess, among the straight community isn't as well understood um, and isn't really explored. Um, and I guess Hollywood has some kind of fear of exploring bisexuality. And, yeah, I mean, it would be nice if there was bisexual reference. Yeah. It's not really being by like isn't ever afforded like the time of day. So like right, if you say there's somebody who is like a king, so like the straightest of straight, and like if they were to become a Kinsey one on film, it's like they're automatically perceived as like gay or lesbian. Uh, and that's like the sort of lesson they take away from there. There's like, or it's never a scale perform the movies, like by erasure. Yeah. One of the only examples I can think of is Julianne Moore in The Kids Are All Right, where, uh, and, and they, they don't even use the term by. She's, she just cheats on her wife with. Mark Ruffalo and you know it's kind of it's all worked out in the end but you know you still really don't know any more about her than you did at the start of the movie it's like it's all unspoken yeah they're like afraid to use the term <laughs> it's like you have to figure it out almost yeah, yeah. um it's like it almost feels like like oh like if we come by it's just like oh it's just a cop-out like it's just like <laughs> It's just too easy um, to solve the story. Like, so let's just like complicate this even more. So, yeah, there's right. There's like no one. I've never heard the word bi or bisexual. And I don't think in a movie, at least recently. Wait, I'm trying to think. Did you guys see the movie Atomic Blonde? Yes. Is it? I don't know if they ever used the term in that. Who was that? Was that Charlie Theron? Yeah, but like that's like I think that's a sort of an example of like a. Of somebody who I would consider bi, like character, but I don't think they ever use the word bi, especially if it took place like in the eighties. No, oh. I mean even if you think of like House of Cards, they never say the word bi, but like the character. Is... Oh, House of Cards. R.I.P. Yeah. to House of Cards. <laughs> so it was not, such yeah. a great show up until season three. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, man. Very true. <laughs> I was gonna say, up until uh, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But you're right. They never um, acknowledged him either in that show. No, they just, it's just, you know, something that is assumed. Some, it's something that's definitely talked about and something that's acted upon, but it's something that's never said. See, but for him, I gotta say that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Mark. Yeah. For him, though, I always thought that he was just gay, not bi. He was just gay, and he just had her as a beard. Uh, and, yeah, maybe. I don't know. They, they never really talk about it or give him a title. Right. It was, it, it, it was almost all for the shock value and not really played for anything other than that. Like, to, to either throw the drama into an episode or the story arc, but it, it never it never truly made any sense. It, it was almost there, like, just to shock whoever was watching it. I think that's um, another thing that, like, irks me, like, with certain things in all kinds of movies. 
we're brought into it, whether someone's gay, trans, bi, as um, the shock value, um, which is terrible because I feel like you're not treating them as real people at that point. You're just doing it because you think it's going to raise people's eyebrows or get ratings or people to go watch your movie as opposed to, no, that's a real human experience that a lot of people out there identify with and go through it, and you're not acknowledging it properly, which is not okay. Yeah, and to a point that Matt made a little bit earlier too, sort of adds to this stigma that like A is something to be ashamed of. Uh, like if you can't ever really talk about it, like then why, why would they even bring it? It's, you can't talk about it. Um, and why would you ever come out? And um, I think, Matt, like the point um, you made earlier was that like all these movies also like end in tragedy. <laughs> so like for uh, the LGBT characters. So that's like another thing that like queer people can only ever be sad <laughs> like with their lives. Yeah. So, like, like and adding to a stigma. Yeah, like gay people can fall in love and be happy too. And, you know, it'd be great to see that one. And it doesn't have to end in heartbreak or the journey doesn't have to be full of heartbreak either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. Like, where's, where are the romantic comedies for LGBTs? So, where like, are they? so I want to go back to like what when we talked about the birdcage and um, comedy and um, even like, even, even in the birdcage. Like the sexuality, traditionally sexuality had to be hidden, and um, it's something that couldn't be talked about, and it's something that scared everyone. But like the 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 comedy, the comedy, the funny, the funny parts of the movie surrounded Nathan character being gay, and I I I can't think of like I can maybe think of like two movies, I can think of a couple shows that were actually comedies or have funny themes involved people, uh, you know, LGBT people. And I just, I don't know why studios are hesitant to move in different directions, um, different genre directions. Uh, you know, people can be represented in more movies than just dramas. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, you see, like, the same beats in, uh, like, queer movies all the time. There are always, like, Tearjerkers, um, subgenre that is like AIDS, that like brought up all the time, um, and or kind of more recently, friend has sort of been like coming out, like movies, like movies about like sort of self discovery about uh, being gay, uh, and um, there are like a few movies that don't have to do with that but they're like difficult to find actually vanity fair just uh published like a really good list uh, that will in the episode description uh but um they they bring up like sort of uh movies that aren't about coming out uh essentially and um one of them actually uh it's also a firm movie um have you any of you guys seen or heard of End of the Century? Yeah, didn't that just come out like a year ago? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't catch it yet, but I have heard of it. Um, that's like that it's it's good um in the sense because it's it's about like 
life after coming out essentially so it's about like a essentially a grinder hookup that like they meet each other like again like 20 years down the road wait what's grinder i know <laughs> sorry um, I resist. i'm sorry <laughs> Uh, the people who don't know the answer to that question probably aren't listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like, it like tracks their like life 20 years down the road. And I kind of like, like that idea because it just like shows that like life goes on right after a experience which you don't get to see like in a lot of movies because they're all sad and and comedy. To, to bring it kind of back to the birdcage, that was the only queer movie I had seen before I saw Brokeback Mountain. And so I think what that movie kind of did from a mainstream level was you've I mean, I, I watch it now and I believe that Robin Williams and Nathan Lane are in love. Like they are a genuine couple that love each other and have been committed to each other for decades. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that is not seen in the tearjerker, in the, in the Brokeback Mountain and these, you know, overcoming every single melodrama cliche you can throw at gay characters and yeah it's it's problematic it's a problematic comedy but at the same time it's like it's it's sad that it's one of the only multi-decade committed gay relationships that you can kind of see in mainstream movies yeah i'm trying to think of like other ones since you oh. brought that up, Matt, and it's like a rarely, I think the only other one I can think of is the Broken Hearted Club. Broken Hearts Club, yeah. Club. <laughs> I can't think of any other like real comedy that um, stars like LGBT characters. It's, I wouldn't call it, it's not a committed relationship. Um, and none of these actors uh, are queer in real life, but the movie The Favorite, which I love. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they, like, they're all either bi or lesbian. And, like, it's, it's great because they use their, their sexuality, like, in their favor as, like, a power play. And um, I, I, I think that's, like, a really, like, fascinating thing, too. Like, that's not, like, a really sad thing they just like they it's matter of fact it's not it's it's not dark comedy movie. though yeah. it's not yes. birdcage farce laugh it's dark yes. <laughs> it's real yeah. dark yeah it was a good movie though yeah great there's there's all it, i mean it's very i mean you, you can see these kinds of comedies in in a very indie corners but I think maybe this was 2013 or 14, uh, a movie called Gaby, where oh, yeah. a, a single gay guy has, tries to have a baby with his best friend and, you know, he meets somebody and stuff. And, and it's cute and it's funny and it's, you know, th those kinds of tropes of coming out and getting sick and all that. It's, it's very much taken out and it's, 
it's a lot of fun. It's not, you know, it's low budget, not the best acting and writing in the world, but it's, it's well done for what it is. One of the Adam Driver's first movies. <laughs> That's oh, true. Adam Driver. Yeah. Uh, um, I just got a visual. Sorry, I was just. I know. <laughs> <laughs> got visuals going on. Um, that man is in everything. So, oh, actually, um, a movie that Adam Driver is in that um, tying back to another LGBT. It's not a gay movie, but um, one thing you've kind of seen recently in big studio movies is like kind of what I call like to queer people. So in the most recent Star Wars movie, um, there's like a background kiss between two women, and every, yeah, I know, and Ooh. like. Everyone at Disney like patted themselves on their back for like major representation of like the queer experience. Uh, oh no 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 no! This movie. Let's let us not forget Finding Dory. Oh yeah, or like Onward this year. It's the, uh, the same thing with like Onward this year. There's like almost like a throwaway line of um, like a character, animated character, but still played by Lena Waithe who's like, oh, like, my girlfriend's gonna love that. And, like, you talking about an onward, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, I know. I, like, I'm not throwing, like, onward under the bus here, because I also, like, liked that movie. <laughs> um, but, and, like, you saw it with, like, the Avengers, too. There's, like, a scene in the Avengers where they're in a therapy session, and, like, uh, one in the therapy session played by the direct one of the directors of the Avengers, by the way. Um, just like casually says, like, oh yeah, my boyfriend. I remember that. Yeah. The it's a sort of paradox in a way, because like, sure, is this like better than nothing? Yes, but like it's not really representative of the times that we live in whatsoever. So it's where, it's not where we are in society. It, and it's like, and you know that, I recall back when the live action Beauty and the Beast came out and Josh Gad's LeFou at the end starts dancing with a man and people lost their minds. Lost they, their minds. Batch. I, I, I even think either China or Russia or somebody actually sent, like, actually cut it out of of their theatrical show. A like, lot of countries did. The same thing with um, Onward, that Onward. scene with Lena Waithe, they cut that out or changed the line. I know. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, when, whenever something has to do with kids, it's, it's still this, after decades and decades, it's still they're coming after your children. Yeah. So, um, I really think, I guess, in order to understand, or for Hollywood to understand how and and where and um, why we can include these themes in family movies, you really have to look back at like the history of LGBT cinema and like the evolution and the development of of this. And just just now that we're putting that we're including these small tidbits, these small lines in in main, these mainstream movies and like Hollywood, Dutch progress 
um, just like baffles me. But, you know, I want to talk about like something what Andrew talked about earlier was talking about like how movies like represent the times and like that's something we call the zeitgeist. If you look back like after the stone after Stonewall in 1969, you you saw a surge of not a surge, but quite a few LGBT movies coming out in the 70s from like Boys in the Band in 1970 and um, uh, Something for Everyone, Cabaret, Ode to Billy Joe, and um, even the most controversial in my opinion was Dog Day Afternoon. And those really were zeitgeist films. They represented the times they were in. This movement of um, freedom of sexuality and, and all this, people flocked to those movies. Um, they were small budgeted movies, but they made, they, they, were, they were mainstream, they were. Um, people lined up around the block to see these, and like flip a switch in 1990, and these right-wing political movements were on the rise that were really opposing LGBT rights. So you anything, and then you saw, I guess, Hollywood and people and uh, religious groups like fighting each other, and it was just like there's no representation whatsoever and this was like this was the rise of the HIV epidemic HIV AIDS epidemic and it wasn't until like like the early 90s when we started like really pushing on the LGBT movies again so the fact that we're now in 2020 and we're including a peck on the lips in Star Wars or a line by Lena Waithe in an animated film it's like everyone loses their minds it's like are we like are we ready yet? Can we? When can we be ready? When is a good time? Because I, in my lifetime, would like to see a family movie surrounding an LGBT character. And just like, I don't understand why Hollywood pushes all of this acceptance and and be who you are, but they're so scared to take that risk on screen. And it's just something that really frustrates me. So. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> That's just something I'm. No, wondering. no, please, please continue. Especially like if we're talking about like family movies, and Dwayne, to like your point earlier, even in like an R-rated movie like Moonlight, you don't even see like sex or sexuality, <laughs> even in the R-rated movies, like LGBTQ characters. So like, there's no harm. <laughs> even a kid's movie potentially i think when it comes to the whole family stuff um it's starting more on tv first versus in the movies i mean you think of um i forget the name of the disney show that has one of the lead characters like he's like 14 when he came out and he's like you know starts dating boys and all of that i forget the name of the tv show um i only know it because my boyfriend's niece put me on to and i was just like wait a minute he's 14 and he's openly gay and he's like dating a boy that's fucking fantastic um i think it's more so starting in tv versus mainstream movies yeah there's just this month the um tv show love victor came out which is like based on the movie love simon yes it is yeah i haven't seen any yet i'm sure i'll watch it because i just like eat all this stuff up um, but, uh, but this movie, this TV show came out on Hulu and it was originally supposed to be on Disney Plus, which is like obviously more kid friendly, like family friendly. 
And that kind of feels like a big missed opportunity there. For all intents and purposes, like, Levick probably a harmless television show. All right, so I'm, you know, I'm like part nerd, right, guys? So, like, I read all the time. You should see my book collection. Becky Albertelli, who... I'm your nerd. Oh, I do. <laughs> Hands down. Don't be full nerd. Don't full nerd. I'm full nerd. Full nerd. So I'm yeah. about to go full nerd right now. So I'm a huge fan of Becky Albertelli, who wrote um, the books that Love, Simon is based on, called Simon yeah. vs. the Homo Sapien. Met her. Love her. Oh, my gosh. I love her. I saw the whole show, Love Victor. And I remember hearing that this show was supposed to be on Disney Plus and they moved it to Hulu. I remember watching the show thinking, you know, this is really a show that families really could sit down and actually watch with their preteens or early teenagers and just watch the show together. I mean, it was, it was comedy, it was drama, it was family drama. It was like all of these components that you look for in a sitcom that are out now that families can watch. I'm like, I'm sorry, what's the problem, Disney? Yeah. What happens? This is why I've we not seen it. I agree. <laughs> this is why we need like, like a staunch like conservative Republican to like sit on here and like join this podcast and tell us like what's the problem? Why wouldn't you like sit down and watch that with your kid? Well, like, that not, that might not be good for them. I'm just <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> putting it out there. I like there's there's like you know there's all this like you know we can sit here and talk with four guys who like agree, you know, on all this stuff. But like the other side, the other point of view is like, I would love to like hear, like, I wouldn't fight back. I would just like to sit down and hear like, why, like why these people have such an issue with family friendly LGBT representation. Is it because you think these movies are going to convert your children? Because guess what? That's not going to convert your child. Um, See, but that's why I think I would have an issue with it and why I wouldn't be able to sit quiet and listen to what they're saying yeah. because they're the ones who are choosing that. It's not us that we're making those decisions up yeah. there in the whole, like, big administrative wings. It's, you know, conservative Republicans who are saying, no, we're not doing that. Take it off. Put it somewhere else. More, I guess, quote-unquote, liberal. We're not having that on this channel. They yeah. get to choose that. We don't have a say in that. And for me, like, that's what the problem is. There's not enough of us in the big wig areas who have enough say to make these kind of decisions. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is no reason that Queen Elsa could not be a lesbian. There is no reason, none whatsoever. I mean, she is unofficially, I would yeah. say. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And down, but yes. I agree, why is it not said? Why is it not just stated? I mean, and Poe and Finn in Star Wars, they will always, I know this was like kind of looked over and it was like obviously like we're in a weird time right now but I guess you all saw last week Nickelodeon tweeted out that Spongebob is gay which I kind of thought was like huge and like no one like thought that was a big deal at all um, or at least I didn't really hear much about it but I thought that was like really brave of them to like put that out there like that because um, I never thought a channel like Nickelodeon would be like encouraging like the younger at least they're like or like not encouraging but like promoting like this show that's like geared towards obviously very young children um and like that's at risk to the studio or to the channel the network that they may lose viewers and i just thought it was very big of them and i did not like obviously like again like not that big of a deal or like to some people but like to me i thought it was like wow that's a really brave step um a little bit further to humans one just one more step for a human and yeah i'm all for it 
Um, so. This like all reminds me that like young people are like pro equality, like behind like a hundred percent, like they're a record, record, record numbers pro equality. And to get into the consumerism of it all, like we want to talk about like Republicans and bringing capitalism, like young people as they get like, especially as they enter in like, as they, when they become adults, like at 18, like 18 to 29 is a demographic that buys a lot of things and they're all like pro equality. So by brands should be like forward looking and like promoting this stuff because it will actually benefit them down the line by showing this stuff. This is why you see like brands in general just like plastering a rainbow flag on everything because they know like people will buy it, like young people will buy it because they're pro equality. So like, I don't see why they can't do the same thing in movie studios. It's a business. I think, I think Love, Simon made $68 million on a $7 million budget or something like that. Like it's, it's there. I mean, it's, it's a market that can be tapped and has been. So I don't understand why, why it isn't more often. I'll just say this. I just think we're in such a, like a, we're in a period now in our lives where it's like the, we have the, um, I hate, but the boomers and the um, the Gen Xers who are you know raised in a completely different world than the millennials and Gen Z. And, um, I just think the future. I like for our generation, the millennials. We are so much more open. A majority of us are so much more open to change and acceptance and. Um, and, and, and LGBT rights and civil rights in general just becoming the norm. And for us, a, ma a vast majority of us don't see homosexuality as a problem. And I'm, I, I, I'm boldly saying that on behalf of the millennial generation. But um, granted, I, I also live in a bubble that is, you know, a very liberal town, um, but I, I, I hope and pray and I know, at least in my gut, that the future of entertainment and cinema is going to go to the next step. And we will see a big change one day. It will take time, it will take effort and fighting and all that. But once, once we get the boomers out of here, <laughs> and I hate to say that, <laughs> when we have, like when we are of the, in the older generation, I think you're going to see a whole different world of, of cinema and acceptance and openness. And you're going to see a whole different way of these movies to be directed and produced and acted in. You know, who knows what like LGBT character or actors are going to openly play LGBT characters or straight actors playing LGBT characters. Will we have an issue with that in the future? Who knows? Um, but I really, I see a big change in, in the way entertainment will be produced in 30, 40 years. So I look forward to that time. 
And I think now the baby steps are good, but we just, I think we're getting to the point where we're ready for that week. Yeah. And I think movies are a great way to do that, um, kind of for us to move forward. Um, You know, because you always got to start with those things that everybody loves, and everybody loves going to the movies. So when we all are sitting in a theater of like 250 people and we're watching people who are like us, it speaks volumes. It opens up conversations and gives us a chance to talk about stuff with um, people who may not understand our experience. And, you know, it's wonderful. And it's an opportunity to teach our history. I mean, you know, I, people always say, oh, there are so many AIDS movies, but at the same time, it's like, well, we lost an entire generation of, of gay people to this epidemic. And, you know, their stories live on in these movies and I, they shouldn't be forgotten. They should be taught. And in a way, I think we should have more stories about HIV AIDS from the eighties and nineties to, to teach that history that we've lost from an entire generation just completely wiped out. Yep, that's like, um, this also reminds me um, of a sort of trope that is um, still perpetuated today um, about particularly about AIDS movies and HIV movies. So are you guys familiar with the show 13 Reasons Why? Yep. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, do, you, do you guys care about spoilers for 13 Reasons Why? No, Please go right spoil ahead. it. I know right the first okay. season was terrible. I will never watch another episode again. <laughs> um, I'm with you. I watched the first season and never gonna watch any again. Nope. <laughs> it became a hot mess after season one. So it's like I need to like know what's going on. Like what is bad? So it just ended. So one of the characters, thirteen reasons why the final season, almost out of nowhere, gets like diagnosed with HIV and then like dies, like a month's time. Oh wow! Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's that's HIV story done bad. (laughs) That's HIV done bad. Yeah, and like there's this, it's like perpetuating like a myth of like how HIV works. Like, and badly you would like see that happen in a lot of like early movies and TV shows where like you just like get diagnosed and it was a death sentence and it's no longer a death sentence. So, um, so it's like crazy to think that like a TV show in 2020 could have somebody like diagnosed with HIV and then die of AIDS like in a month's time. Um, That's just like we now have the drugs to not to with when used correctly like prevent. And also suppress it from it being doing doing that storyline with with no context of treatment and the reality of 2020 is just irresponsible. Yeah, that just sounds like that just sounds like a show made by someone who's completely uninformed and was like not advised otherwise. 
openly gay man. Really? Created and adapted by an openly gay man who has a Pulitzer Prize. It's it's disappointing. Oh, I'm, I literally had a sink in my stomach when you said that. <laughs> I did. See, but that, I'm glad you said that, Mark, because that begs the question, like when we are LGBT writers, directors, screenwriters, producers, whatever you want to call it, do we have an obligation to, I guess, portray our stories in a certain light? Like, so the screenwriter for Moonlight, um, one of them, like he's black and he's gay. Terrell um, Alvary, I forget his last name. Um, and I remember when I found that out, I remember thinking, really? <laughs> you, you are? Okay, because, you know, I'm like watching your movie um, and I would, don't think I would have really gotten that a black and gay screenwriter wrote this. Um, I don't really think he did it justice. So it's like, are we obligated to uphold our LGBT stories in a certain light when we are in that world? I would say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So like, show what reality is? Is that what you're saying? Like, mm -hmm. instead of pandering? Right. Right. Are you, are, are you supposed to keep it real? We should keep it real. I mean, to hear that the 13 Reasons Why person was an out gay man, how could you do that to the show? How could you allow it to happen, I guess, to the show? Video I mean, it's, it's, it's based on a book by, I believe, a straight woman. I'm, I'm not 100% sure of, of where it came from, but it was adapted for Netflix by this gentleman. Because living with HIV, a normal life doesn't sell. <laughs> yeah. Except in Queer as Folk. Yeah. Oh. I've actually yeah. never seen Queer as Folk. <laughs> But I mean, I you know, to I'm I found a I found an Australian movie on Netflix um, called Holding the Man, and it's based on a memoir of a guy Timothy something, and I forget his last name. Um, but it was con what what was it? No, I, I was joking. I said it was Chalamet, but it's not. <laughs> Con Conlin or something like that, but it, it's a true story of of his dealing with the epidemic in Australia, and you know Philadelphia is great, and you know all those kinds of stories. But to have true stories of the people who fought and died during that time, I think is really really important. Thirteen reasons why, like that's you know. <laughs> Maybe a little nod to, to that, I think, would do us a better service. I don't want to like, a shout out because it's been on my recommended list every time I log into Netflix for ages. Oh, <laughs> oh, I actually watched it. It's, it I've, I've watched it a couple times. It's awesome. I've read his memoir. It is great, too. It's, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy watch, and it's low budget, so there are a couple things that, you know, you could nitpick at, but... It's, it's really well done. Good. Um, Matt, sorry, I think I interrupted you. You were gonna say something? Oh, no, I was gonna ask, in terms of HIV representation, uh, how do we feel about Rent? <laughs> not like, not the movie, the show, if anyone's seen it. You mean on Broadway? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was so good. I love, yeah. <laughs> I love Rent. I also love Rent. <laughs> I don't hate the movie, but I just was like, you know, 
I, in terms of like, getting back to the discussion of like HIV representation in the 90s, So I, like, oh yeah, that's like a fun show. This is a great show. But like, I think what I really like about how Rent does, and, and again, it, it Zeitgeist, it exists in 1996. What I mean, the gay people aren't the only characters who have AIDS, and in fact, not all the gay characters have AIDS. All right. You right. know, it's 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 a lot of the straight people in the show too, and so I think I when you talk about importance and of the time, I think to see that on stage, like straight characters with AIDS, I mean that's, I mean I I, I think that's a really big deal. It's scored by Jonathan Larson, like dying, well, like days before the opening, yeah. the day before, yeah, yeah, the day before, it's crazy, yeah. I do like the movie. I know people crap on the movie all the time. The movie has its moments. It's not like perfect, but it's good. I like the movie. I think um, I, I'm one of the people who actually does it. Awesome. We're not hating at all. We're not. Okay, cool. As long as we're on the same page. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure if Andrew is. He's, he's sitting there. No, no. I, I like it. Um, they also did that. Um, the live show, gosh, what was it like a couple years ago too, which I like also watched, but that was. You mean Rent Live? I'm yeah. Uh oh. Isn't that kind of a disaster? It was, well, like, it was horrible. So bad. Was, so, so bad. It was, um, gosh, one of the, one of the actors like didn't like broke his leg or something. The day before, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Rent, like, is Rent the show cursed? Which, which was better. <laughs> Which was better for him because the direction, like, had them belting rock songs while running up and down stairs all over a soundstage. It's like, what, why, why are you having them do that? Like, they're trying to sing. <laughs> like, I know this is supposed to be live and for TV and everything, but it was just, it was very poorly done. Um, I saw Rent on stage for the first time, like, ever last year, and was like, of course, bawling my eyes out, uh, coming, <laughs> coming out of it, uh, coming out. Uh, um, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it also brings up a, an, an interesting point about how a lot of the gay representation in film is kind of adapted from the stage. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, even even going so far back as Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and, you know, Boys in the Band, obviously, I mean, they, they all they all kind of started on stage. And it was, because, it, it was because of their success on stage that allowed the film to be made in the first place. I'm trying to think, um, kind of like... Dear Evan Hansen, isn't that, aren't they making a movie out of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's not a queer story. Yeah, there, there, there aren't queer characters in that. Hey, what am I thinking of? No, 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 Andrew. What's the one you like? Um, no, I, I do love Dear Evan Hansen, but um, but no, it's not. Um, I'm, thinking of the, I'm thinking of the wrong show. Yeah, it's a Broadway uh, show. Yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you. Recently, because I'm a major Broadway buff no, as well, so I probably know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. The prom. The prom. 
Oh, the problem. Yes. There's going to be a movie. Yeah, the problem. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting my Broadway mixed up. Boys in the Band 2. Netflix is bringing them all back. Yeah. Well, Ryan Murphy is bringing them back. Yeah. Netflix is doing Netflix. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan Murphy is such a weird guy. Like, he is such <laughs> a weird dude. Like, his, oh my God. His stuff is just like getting like weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. Yeah. See, but I thought he was weird since Niptuck. I was just like, yeah, this guy is off. Yeah. <laughs> Has to be off. I like I'm. I know like a lot of people watch this, but like I'm like afraid to watch the politician. <laughs> it's like it's just like he's so weird. I like. It's, I it's good. I. I liked it. I didn't think it was. Oh, yeah, I didn't think it was typical Murphy. Fodder. Like I had to stop watching Glee halfway through season two. Like it just <laughs> he 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 runs these shows off the rails and just never gets them back again. So who knows? <laughs> a politician could flame out after three episodes of the new season. I don't know. I just I I do have a love hate yeah. relationship with that man. <laughs> I, I watched um, Hollywood, which was I thought was actually really good, but like. Really weird, and um, obviously, like it like mixes like film history with like I don't know. Like it's good, but it's just like so weird to the point that it's like, or it's like it's like so bad good that it, like, the point where it's just actually good. <laughs> um, I I do not like the politician. Uh, I am one of its detractors. Totally fair. I totally see it. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's like way too cynical for me. I just like can't get behind it. I'm with you on that one, Andrew. Sorry, I, I gave season one a try. Wasn't doing it for me. Yeah, and I love Ben Platt. I think he was fantastic in Dear Evan Hansen. That Tony Award was well deserved, but I do not like his performance in the politician. Yeah, he does not um, do it. For me. Sorry, sorry, Mark, you're outvoted. I guess it will be one. No, hey, believe me, yeah. I, get, I will never go to the grave on a Ryan Murphy. <laughs> a Ryan Murphy TV show. Yeah. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite lines is, is, is actually Leslie Jordan. He says in one of the seasons of American Horror Story, he gets into like the back of his car, like this guy's car is like really attractive. He goes, have you ever heard of gay for pay? <laughs> <laughs> Typical Ryan Murphy. <laughs> Where does it come from? Oh, Leslie Jordan. Yeah. Uh, but he's bringing the boys in the band back, so I can't. I can't hate him too much. I will like him until that movie comes out, and then I'm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't like I will never write Ryan Murphy off, but like it's like major hit or miss. But like the hits are really good, so. Yeah. But the misses really miss. Yeah, I think his hits are is as bad as the bad ones are. Like yeah. it's really good and then really bad. Yeah, yeah. No one between. Did you see the normal heart? I thought that was terribly done. Mm. Um, I, I love Matt Homer and the the normal heart though. Like yeah. I actually thought I thought he was great. Yeah. Um, that's what I. That's the only thing I pretty much remember from the normal heart. <laughs> My point exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Uh, do you guys have anything else that you want to add that we did not cover? No, I think we covered a lot of great stuff. Yeah. 
we solved any sort of problem LGBTQ representation in all of Hollywood. I mean, you know, just a plug out there, I am happy to star in a POC LGBT romantic comedy. I'm just saying, you know, give me a script, I'll make it work. If it's if it's Ryan Murphy, will will you still accept? <laughs> um, uh, maybe. <laughs> okay, let's let's hope this let's hope this uh, reaches a producer in Hollywood ears, just not Ryan Murphy, and uh, <laughs> we'll start with you know baby steps for for change. Yeah, well, we're gonna send this to Ryan Murphy's agent. So. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um. Well, if uh, if there's nothing else, um, want to thank Mark and Dwayne for coming on uh, and talking about LGBTQ movies. And thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thank you very much. Um, and if um, you want to hear more from them too, um, you can always send uh, us an email the podcast. Um, step and repeat pod at gmail.com um, to hear everyone else's take on LGBTQ you agree disagree with uh, stuff that we said or if anything that we said was confusing can help explain it a little bit more it's kind of what we're here for so um, but, um, unless we um, have anything else? I think I uh, speak for us all, saying it's an honor just to be considered.